As we continue this series, The Neighboring Life, uh, we are going to j- jump into this whole idea and this thought process and, and what it looks like for the neighboring life. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm so excited about this whole series and just this, this shift in, in attitude and mindset um, because I'm, I'm only child, right? I've told you that many, many times. I fight the temptation to have my world be this big. All the time. And maybe you do too, and you've got eight brothers and sisters, and you're like, Jared, that's everybody. But I know I just kind of, like, I tunnel vision, and I'm, and I get concerned with me all the time. And this idea of neighboring life is simply, it's just simply this, taking our, our sphere, our, our worldview, and kind of going, and opening it a little bit. That, that's, if you're going to boil it all down into the, the essence of it, it's just kind of open it up a little bit. And some of us, that's extremely scary. Because every time in our life, when we started opening up a little bit, someone came in with a hammer and went, wham, right? I, I get that. The problem is we have this calling on our life to love God with everything that we have and to love people as ourselves. Because if that wasn't there, then I could just, you know, if I could just love God and I could be in my own little world and I'd take my little Bible and I'd be happy and I'd pray and I'd be just happy and I'd be with myself and I'd be happy and I'd be mm, cozy, cozy, cozy in my big fluffy chair with a blanket and I'd read all day. That was Jared in his happy place. Woo! But then there's a second part of this. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm loving them as myself. I want to be loved by being left alone, so I'm going to leave them alone. That's not the appropriate answer. All right? So uh, we gotta, we got to not do that. So there's that. The greatest call on our life, uh, greatest calls on our life are to love God with everything that we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves. These are the greatest calls on our life. Jesus imparts these into us. It's taught. Jesus didn't come up with this. He wasn't like one day just teaching like, you know what would be awesome is if everybody loved God and everybody loved people. That would be great. No, no, no. This is taught from the very beginning. Jesus just keeps on boiling it down and boiling it down. And then the master teacher that he was, he's like, okay, you guys have made a bunch of fluff out of all kinds of stuff. I'm just going to boil it down, boil it down, boil it down, boil it down. Love God with everything that you have and love people with everything you have. There you go. That's the key to life. Merry Christmas. It's the greatest call in our life. I wanted to kind of clarify a few things. Uh, as I taught two different life groups this week, had some interesting questions. Other life group uh, leaders sent me some questions. My people, my, my group said this and asked these questions. And so I wanted to clarify a few things uh, before we got all the way into today's message. Uh, but I think, uh, I think this might be helpful. See, neighboring is simply helping the people around you through their mess. That's, that's simply what neighboring is. Helping the people that you come in contact with through their mess. Now, that could be your coworker. That can be your own child. That can be the person who physically lives next door to you. That could be the person at the restaurant that you're talking to. That could be the guy in line at Mariano's. I don't know who that is for you, but you start opening your eyes and opening your worldview to other people and what's going on, you're going to see messes all over the place. Um, and then you've got to pray for discernment that you don't get in the messes that you don't need to be in. Uh, honestly, because you'll find yourself like, oh, I just keep on putting my... Now, Jared, I got hurt and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a, a byproduct of it. Here at the church, Avon's been taking a lot more phone calls um, and emails from people who need assistance. We are, for some reason, we got pushed to the top of the list of the food banks uh, in the area, so we're getting a whole lot of more stuff. We're not an Illinois food bank. We don't have, like, 
gobs and gobs of food to give out, but we get a lot of phone calls. And so um, and, and with that comes some challenges, um, people t- trying to take advantage of you or, or people that are really hurt. And you don't have no clue. You, know, right? you have no clue what's going to happen there. And, uh, and so it's been kind of, all right, it's okay. It's okay, Yvonne, if, if this person takes advantage of us. They're here three times this week. You know what? They needed food three times this week. It's not like we were giving them 50 bucks every time they showed up. We're giving them Cheerios. So <laughs> eat more Cheerios. Have fun with that. I don't care. Uh, it's, but it's like kind of figuring out the discernment because when we start opening our worldview, things, crazy things start happening. Greatest call in our life is to love God with everything that we have and love our neighbor as ourself. So a couple questions we get out of the study. Number one, do I have to be best friends with my neighbors? Do I have to be best friends with my neighbors? The answer to that, to a lot of your relief, is no. Do I have to like my neighbor? Answer to that one, no. Get, you don't have to even like them. You have to love them, but you don't even have to like them. You don't have, like the expectation is, oh, good, I've got neighbors, I'm going to build a relationship, now we're going to go on vacation together, and, you know, we're going to retire in our retirement community together because we are BFS forever. That's not reality, that's not how this works, and that's not what I'm calling you to do. What I'm saying is let's just open our worldview so we can see people in their mess and help them through it. So do I have to be best friends with my neighbor? No. I had a question. This was awesome. We were talking about the, the chart, the eight people around you, and uh, do you know their names? Do you know their hopes? Do you know their dreams? And do you know how to pray for them? Um, and this is the goal. Like, this is how we should be trying to move towards. And the comment back was, I don't even know that stuff about my best friends. Like, fair enough. We don't have to be best friends with them. But the, the drive is, how do I get to know you? How do I get to, to know you enough that you're in a mess? Like, if I, if I have no inkling of your hopes and your dreams, I don't know anything about your mess or anything, how God can touch your life, how God can pull you out of that. And I thought that was just, it was just so impactful to me. Like the expectation is not that we'll have this all figured out. The the expectation is that, well, my cul-de-sac is like a little piece of heaven. Like, oh, it it never snows there. It never rains there. It's always 75 and sunny and basically Hawaii transported to Joliet is my subdivision because I neighbor well. That is not the expectation. That's not reality. That's not how this works. What we're going to have is the neighbor's kid's going to run over my mailbox and, you know, I'm going to leave something out in the front yard and my kids will leave all their clothes. I don't know how they got home with having clothes on all throughout the neighborhood. Now, that's the reality. But how am I going to help you through your mess when your kid's sick? This guy, little kid broke his arm. This kid, this, some, so-and-so's in the, in the hospital. How, how do we step into that? Does that make sense? Okay. So I just want to clarify that because a lot of this neighbor stuff, we're like, oh, well, I got to help every homeless person ever I see on every side of the road. That's not the expectation either. Use your discernment, pray about it. If, if God's, here's the twin, if the twinge in your heart is, I need to do something about that. Do something about that smartly, right? If God says, no, that's not your, that's not your thing, then you're good. It's okay. Relief, let the conscious be okay, you know? You don't have to worry all the time about if you're getting taken advantage of, by the way. You don't, you don't have to worry about that. That's between, between you and God. What happens after you and God, that's their, that's their issue. It's not your issue. So, um, I've struggled with that a lot. I've told you stories about there's one guy in, in Woodstock, like it didn't matter where I moved, what job I had. I had all kinds of different jobs in Woodstock, Georgia. He would find me. <laughs> God ordained that guy to, I was his guy. He basically cut off his thumb one day um, at, at work and wh- he came to the church looking for medical assistance. Like, dude, I have, <laughs> 
here's some gauze. <laughs> Got some super glue. Like, what, what, what do we do here, bud? <laughs> just, just put that back on. Uh, <laughs> true story. But then, like, a year later, I found him. And I'm like, I'm just, like, checking out his hands. Like, does he still have his thumb? <laughs> he did, by the way. So, uh, apparently, I missed my calling of being a doctor. Uh, anyway, I watched one too many episodes of, of MASH. I, I had it down. Um, so neighboring, so here's the thing that you have to do. Do I have to pray for my neighbor? The answer to that is yes. Okay, pray intentionally. There's a, a backlash against prayer right now because of the stuff that's happening, the shooting in schools and things like your thoughts and prayers are worth jack. Um, that really bothers me on, on, on a couple levels. One, that, that's a, a fundamental feeling that God doesn't do anything, that God's not in, not in action, which is wrong. The second thing is that people put such a, that we haven't neighbored well enough. We haven't loved people well enough that if all you're going to do is pray for me, then, then what, what are you actually doing? Do you see the disconnect there? There's, there's this problem of you don't actually care. What you want to do is just sit on your, your rear end and do nothing about it. That's the perception. Now, I know prayer is powerful. I know prayer can change people's lives, but it has to be followed by a love action. It has to be, I'm loving God with everything that I have in this moment, and God, it's breaking my heart that there are parents out there who lost their kids to a senseless act this week. But then it also has to, there has to be some sort of action where like, okay, I've done this, and then I'm loving my neighbor as myself, and I'm doing this. Because what's my action if it was my daughter who got killed this week? Because if I'm loving you, I'm getting into your mess and going, I don't know how you're getting out of bed this morning. How do I love you? Do you see the, the change in that? That's the difference. And that's not getting political. That's not like, we got I don't care about that stuff. I'm saying I've got to love God with everything I am, and I've got to love my neighbor with everything I am as well. So what does that mean? I, that's, that's beyond Democrat, Republican, beyond all that junk. What it is is as a Christian, as someone who's trying to follow God, how do I love God well in this? How do I bring these people to his throne? How do I take the experience and say, God, I am broken over this. But then how do I do something about it? And that's what neighboring is. Does this make sense? Because I, I, don't, I don't want the, the feeling to be like, well, your thoughts and prayers don't matter to me. That breaks my heart. But to know that we've lost so much credence in our society, to know that praying does, it doesn't even matter to people, Oh, that hurts so bad. The greatest call in our life is to love God with everything we have and love people as ourself. So naturally in our, uh, in our conversations, in our life groups, I lead a, a men's group. The question is going to be, so what am I supposed to do? Like, don't, don't tell me about all these feelings things, Jared. What am I supposed to do? And uh, so we get there and I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. We, got, we, can't, we can't get to the to-do list. Because neighboring is not a, a to-do list, it's an attitude shift. Neighboring is not a to-do list, it's an attitude shift. Can, I, can, we, can we say it again? Neighboring is not a to-do list, it's an attitude shift. If you make neighboring a to-do list, you will not love God well in it, and you will not love people well in it. Okay? I am fantastic at getting a to-do list and attacking the to-do list and being done with the to-do list. And like, my mama taught me well, the power of a Sharpie, Right? Oh, is there, is there a better feeling in the world? And you have a long list and you're, 
It's gone. I'm done. Woo! And then you do something, you're like, oh, it wasn't on the list. So you got to put it on the list so then you can mark it off. Right? You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And so with neighboring, we kind of do the same thing. We're like, oh, well, I took in their, their trash cans today, or I, I, I shoveled their snow. I'm a good neighbor. Check. That's part of it, but not as a to-do list item. It's an attitude shift. It's an attitude shift. Does that make sense? We're going to go into that a little bit deeper because it's, it's a big concept. Because if we keep on just adding more stuff to our to-do list, anybody in here need more on their to-do list? Right? Right? Like, I, I've seen some of your to-do lists. You don't, you don't need anything. It's good. We don't need more. What we need is a heart shift. We need a heart move. And so that's, um, that's what we want to talk about this morning. And how I can uh, describe that, the best way I thought of this week was the illustration of blinds. Because I'm not asking you to become best friends with everybody, but the, this illustration of blinds. Now, I don't like blinds. I, I don't. I like, I already t- told you, my little safe space is in sitting in a comfy chair with a book, and I'm just happy, 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 right? But Kelly goes around, and she opens all the blinds in the house. I'm like, I installed big you know, three-inch blinds that block out all the light for a reason. I don't want anybody looking in. I don't want anybody looking out. I just want my cozy space. You know, we're, we're good to go. She opens all the blinds. See, Kelly grew up in a house. Um, and when, when, when you open all the blinds, I feel like a fishbowl. I feel like everyone's, like, watching you. Now, no one's probably watching you, but I don't want them judging me to know how lazy I am. Yeah, my yard needs to be mowed, but I'm going to sit here on the couch, and I'm going to watch TV, so deal with it. Like, that's, like, I can just see my neighbor, like, oh, my, what, what, get outside, Jared. You know, I can see that. Like, and so, that's a really self-involved way of thinking, and so sorry about that. Um, I've got issues, too. Uh, so, but... Kelly comes and opens all the blinds. Maybe she's trying to guilt me into mowing the grass. I don't know. But so opening all the blinds. Kelly lived in a house all growing up. It was 400 Southwestern Aquarium. There is a billion windows in this house, and there's not a window treatment on any of them. You turn on a light at night, it's like, woo, hello, neighborhood, everybody. <laughs> it was insane. Mike, my father-in-law, bless his soul, would walk around and go... <laughs> He'd walk around, the, walk around the house, and it's an old craftsman style house that has. Johanna's gonna listen to this message. She can be so mad at me. It's gonna be great. Um, but I mean, there is just window after window, window after window after window, and there's not a window treatment anywhere. And everyone knows the ride doors. Everyone, everyone. People stopping by all the time. Everyone knows. I guess there's a beacon. Come party at our house. Ding, whoa! Like all of Kokomo just knows the spotlights on. Ride hours are home. We can go over there. So Kelly grew up in that environment where you just, oh, you, everyone, it's open all the time. And I'm like, no, 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 close the blinds. But this, this shift of how do we open the blinds, because I know what, what happens when you close the blinds, you don't know what's going on in the outside world. I don't know when the neighbors get home. I don't know when their kids get home. I don't know when the kids get off the bus. I, I don't know any of it. But when I opened the blinds, you know, when the fun thing happened when I opened the blinds a couple uh, months ago is I got to see uh, Adam next door taking his homecoming pictures outside. That was just cute, right? And Adam's only supposed to be like nine. He's not supposed to be going to homecoming, by the way. It's causing some issues for me. I can't imagine what it's doing for his parents. But Adam's taking his homecoming pictures. And then the, the twins coming home and, and starting to play and ride bikes for the first time. I get to see that and get to be a part of it. Because when the blinds are open, I, I, I can automatically start to see what's going on in my little cul-de-sac. 
I can automatically go, okay, that's what's happening here. Not a, a free ticket to be as nosy or gossipy as possible. It's a, it's a ticket. It's, a, it's an action of opening the blinds of our hearts so we're engaged into the people around us. We start to see the messes so we know where to help with. Does this make sense? So for me, it's this action of maybe even praying. God, let me open the eyes, open the blinds on my heart today. Just, I'm not asking to be best friends with everybody. and be like, oh, I'm taking you dinner. Go away, Jared. No one likes you. you know, I just opening the blinds of my life so I can see the messes around me and how I can be useful in those moments to be made aware. The same idea with blinds can work with you raising your children. Some of you have gotten so frustrated with your kids, you've just closed it off. I'm not even looking in your stuff. We're we're dealing with it. It usually happens when they're about 13, right? You You don't want my information. I don't want your information. Just shut the door and we'll deal with you when you're out. Uh, seven more years and they'll be out of here. What if five more years when they'll be out of here? Open those blinds to be aware of their mess. We do it when we uh, open the blinds to our friends. Opening the blinds means taking those, those, those conversations maybe to a next level, one that you haven't uh, gone in a long time. Because you're just like, you know what? He's been struggling with that same thing over and over again. Every time we talk, it's like listening to a broken record. You know what? Open the blinds. Don't get closed off to people. Open the blinds to our coworkers. Some of us go into our jobs. We run into our cubicle or wherever we're at, and we're like, just get in here. I'll put my headphones on. No one can talk to me. I'm just going to do me, and I'm going to get out of here as fast as possible. Open the blinds to our coworkers. There's all kinds of stories there. There's all kinds of actions there. There's all kinds of things that God wants to do in your life through you to touch the people around you. We close the blinds. We close off all of that action. How do we open the blinds to our neighbors? Maybe it is a physical, actual opening the blind, keeping the garage door open a little bit longer. Maybe it is that. I'm not, you know, I know it's 20 degrees outside. Jared, I'm not standing out in my front yard. I get that. But in a couple of weeks, it'll be okay. Tuesday, it's supposed to be like 60. Woo! Uh, so, at the end of the day, having a lifestyle of neighboring is not about how many people like you, it's about obedient, being obedient and, to, and open to God moving in your life by affecting the people around you. At the end of the day, having a lifestyle of neighboring is not about how many people like you. It's about being obedient and open to a God moving in your life and affecting the people around you. So how do we step into that lifestyle? Uh, Well, through our life group uh, curriculum, we're going to talk about several different uh, ideas, and they all rhyme, so they're real cutesy. You know me. I do a lot of rhyming stuff. Never. Uh, So, But these rhyme. Uh, Commit to stay, to pray to play, and to say. See, they rhyme. There you go. You're happy. To stay, to pray, to play, and to say. And we're going to be covering each one of these topics um, for a while or each week. This week, we're going to talk about staying. What does it mean to stay? To say, you know what? I'm going to commit to being a part of this uh, place, of these people, of this this, uh, work environment, of this neighborhood, of this church, of this family. I'm I'm going to commit to stay with them. This is a huge commitment. This is a huge attitude shift. Because if you've ever been in a moment when you've been wondering and vassling back and forth if you should stay or not, it is a big deal. I remember it was five years ago, basically this week, I was starting the process of becoming your pastor. 
You guys didn't know I was, I was becoming your pastor, but it was about five, five years ago. I was starting to, to start searching for a church, and something changed in my heart from those you know, 150 students I was madly, passionately in love with to, go, to opening myself to loving a new congregation in a different state. And that switch, what happened over the next six months is I wasn't that great of a pastor to the, to the kids back in Georgia because my heart was already, it was on the fence. It was already shifting, right? And so if you've ever been in a work environment where you're, you're at one job, but you're looking for another, you're not given that job. You, it's like physically impossible to start wondering what's going on there. If you do that with a job, if your family, am I, am I bouncing on this family? That's a rough a rough place to be. I have friends who have been engaged for about 12 years now. I don't know what, it, what they're expecting to change. Uh, right? Like, let's, mm, come on. Um, now, some hard conversations have had to happen, but that's rough. That's rough. But if you're not fully committing to that, if you're not saying, I'm going to stay, your, your attitude's not, not fully in. If you're looking every day on Zillow going, am I going to move? I'm looking for a better house. I'm looking for a better house. I'm looking for this opportunity. I'm looking for this. Like, you're not going to invest in your neighbors because you're always looking for somewhere else to be. Why would I start a relationship with Tracy, my neighbor, if I don't think I'm going to be Tracy's neighbor for three, uh, three more months? Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's hard. It's a hard place to be. It stinks. So what I'm asking you today is to say, I'm going to stay, make a choice. I'm going to throw things out of whack a little bit here. I'm sorry, Deborah. But there's a point um, that uh, there's a saying I think Mike used to tell me all the time or tell and tell Johanna this, but no decision is a decision. Making no decision is a decision. Making no decision is a decision. Now, if I say, and I think the, the guy, the Good Samaritan, probably dealt with this kind of thing. So, so you got the guy on the side of the road all beaten, and then you got a priest go by, and he just walks by. He's like, I'm not touching that dude. And then you have a Levite, and the Levite, the scribe, the, the writer of the law, walks by. And I just like to imagine that this guy's a little different than the first, and he's doing what Jared Hauser likes to do a lot. Oh, man, I could really help with that. I got that first aid kit in the back of the truck. That could really help with those things. Man, yeah, and then I could do this. And, well, I don't know, I'm kind of, kind of busy today, but um, I could really help that guy. And maybe I should have stopped. And maybe we could do this. Yeah, going off. Oh, well, oh, he's a quarter mile back there. It's not worth stopping anymore. Right? My no decision was a decision. My no decision meant that I ain't really stopping. I'm just going to placate myself and say, well, I could have helped. There was a, um, I was driving by somebody in our church that were, they were uh, shoveling their snow. Uh, what, Friday or Thursday? I don't know, whenever it was. They're shoveling their snow. And I drove by and I was like, hey, look at, they're at our church. I should really stop and do that in my truck. The true story. And I got to the light and I was like, I still could turn around. But I'm, and so I'm, I'm at the stoplight, the longest stoplight in history. And finally I was like, you know what? If my parents went to a different church and my mom was out shoveling snow uh, and the pastor didn't turn around, I'd have some interesting things to say to him. So guess what? I'm going to turn around. I turned around, and thankfully, I timed it just so she was finishing up when I got back to the house. <laughs> so I tried hard, but it did But no decision was a decision. You know, no decision is a decision. 
We try to placate that all the time in our own heads, right? We try to say, oh, well, I'm thinking about it. I got good intentions, but I just don't. Mm. It's a decision. You're dealing with that in all kinds of different aspects of your life. That's a choice just has to be made. Am I going to stay? Am I going to go? Am I going to commit or am I not going to commit? And that goes from things with your kids. That, have, that goes to all kinds of things that you're going to purchase or buy or all kinds of stuff. My choice, I'm thinking my maybes. My maybes don't cut it. Let's make a choice. There's a lot of things maybe in your life that you just got to make a choice. I think neighboring's one of these. We can't just sit on the, maybe one day, this is mine in my neighborhood. One day we're going to have a block party. One day we're going to have a cookout and we're going to invite everybody. One day that's going to happen. You know what? One day never comes until I put it on the calendar, put on a grill, throw some hamburgers and say, come over. It's not happening. Because one day never the stars don't align properly and someone's going to be sick and someone's going to be gone and someone's going to be on vacation every single stinking weekend. Just make it happen. Maybe for you all this morning, there's some decisions that just need to be made. You got to keep on working about the perfect time and, and the perfect moment. Just make the decision because no decision is a decision but I didn't mean to be mean. I didn't mean to ignore the person on the side of the road. It just happened. Yeah, but you did. No decision is a decision. We live in a disposable society. And we've made, I fear that we've made our relationships disposable. We've made people disposable. Because now we can change jobs so easily. We can change houses so easily. Uh, moving stinks, but it can happen, right? We've, even the things that we purchase, if you bought a tool from 40 years ago, it's probably the best tool in your whole toolbox because it's all made of metal. There was a time when you bought a craftsman tool, you're like, this thing's awesome, it's indestructible. Now you buy a craftsman tool, you're like, oh, it's Bowen's toy, it's a tinker toy because it's all plastic. We live in a disposable society. Apple got in big time trouble a couple weeks ago because they got found out that their batteries are, are set to like blow up and this message will self-destruct in two and a half years and the battery life incredibly um, decreases after two and a half years. Planned obsolescence is a thing. It's real. It's reality. Our relationships can't be that way. The choice to say, I'm going to be committed to this, to this place, to this church, to these friends, to this community. Leviticus 19.18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is where Jesus pulls love the neighbor as yourself from. It's Leviticus 19.18. There's actually in Leviticus 19, there's all kinds of things of how to be a neighbor well, like don't steal their dog, don't sleep with their wife, real hard stuff to do, right? But like there's all kinds of lists. Just don't do these things, boom, 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 boom. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's where it comes from and where Jesus is pulling it from. Now I get, as I talk about committed, commitment, you, you probably have um, some people pop into your head. I get that there's really, really toxic relationships out there. I get there's people you need firm boundaries around. Like, I get that. I'm not saying you've got to go the extra, extra, extra mile over someone who destroys your soul every time you talk to them. Okay, you need to feel released that I can make a decision to say, no, because I, I give all my time to you, you're keeping me being able to, to love or care for myself or care for anyone else around me. And you need permission to say, it's okay to say no. 
Like, I, I come from experience where restraining orders had to be filed. Like, things like that, police officers had to be notified. Things like that happened because relationships got so toxic that there was something wrong there. I get that. It's really awkward going to a church board and saying, we need to ask this person if they come on the property of the church not to be let in because I'm scared of blah, 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 blah. That's a very awkward place to be. But we're supposed to love them. Yeah, but I'm scared they're going to try to steal one of my children. Oh. Okay, you, you, let's just be real. Like, these things happen, and, and stuff has to happen. We need to have these boundaries. But neighbors aren't disposable. People aren't disposable. We need to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to be here, and tomorrow I'm going to be here. I was uh, watching the slam dunk competition yesterday with Bowen and, and Kendall. We were having fun watching the NBA All-Star break. And um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Russell were on it, um, were there. And, uh, and I was telling Bowen about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. My first national championship I ever watched um, was when Kareem and Magic won against the Celtics. And I remember, I remember sitting down and watching it with my dad. It's really difficult because it's a black and white TV, and it's really hard to tell who's who on a black and white TV. But um, it, it, we did it, and so we were, we were watching it. But I was telling Bowen about how beautiful uh, Kareem's skyhook was, and how, how he scored more points than anyone in the history of basketball. And he played for the Lakers forever, <laughs> like forever. I couldn't believe that he actually retired. Like he should still be playing. It'd probably be better if he was, but. Uh, he played forever. And that, that experience of a player being with a team forever, Bowen will never experience that. Like, people just are interchangeable on teams anymore. It doesn't matter what, if it's hockey, basketball, football, whatever it is, people are just interchangeable. And I, that feeling kind of happens in our own lives as people are just coming in and out, in and out, in and out. And we've got to make a choice. I'm not going to be a disposable person. I want to be so indispensable in someone's life that Perry can't ever replace me. Now, I know I'm a pretty unique bird, but that Perry can't ever replace me in his life, and, I, and I'm never going to be able to replace Perry because we've chosen to be in relationship. What happens when we start choosing those kinds of relationships with people? Yeah, you might change jobs, and you might move, have to move or might choose something else, but that we stay connected and stay committed to people, that relationships aren't disposable. Mark 12, verse 28 to 34 says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The problem with indifference toward the people in your proximity is that they matter to God. The problem with indifference toward the people in your proximity, the people close to you, is that they matter to God. Being a homebody, being by myself, not letting anybody else into my life, never talking to anybody would be really, really easy to do if God didn't love everyone and didn't call me to love everyone. The problem with indifference for the people in your proximity is that they matter to God, and therefore, they have to matter to us. If we are to love God with everything, we have to love his creation with everything that we have as well. 
So when we look for purpose in our work, we look for purpose in our life, we can ask ourselves two simple questions. And this will, this will probably help you figure out what the will of God is for your life, for your family, for all that. These two simple questions. That you're like, whoa, we're going to talk about the will of God for my life today? Yes, we're going to talk about that. Very two simple questions. First is this. Does the decision in this help me love God well? Maybe you're thinking of a job change. Maybe you're thinking of a move. Maybe you're thinking of uh, even a, a church change. Maybe you're thinking of a, a what a lateral move, up, down, whatever kind of move, whatever that choice is. Does this choice make me help me love God better? If the answer to that is no, then the answer to the question is no, don't do that. And the second question is this. Does it help me love the people around me better? So am I loving people well in this choice? If the answer to that is no, then don't do it. Maybe you can love God better in that choice, but you can't love people better in that choice. Then it's, it's still a negative, don't do it. That's a filter in which we can figure out if this is the will of God pretty easily. Because God is always calling us to love God better and to love people better. And so whatever big choices you're making in life, maybe this is, these are the choices that we're trying to make as we figure out, you know, what, athletics for our kids to be in. How much should they participate? Should they, if the opportunity arises for this, should we take it or not? Well, can I love God well in that? Well, the very first thing that baseball practice asked, very first thing, very first, very first communication that I had with a baseball person was tryouts are at 1045 on Sunday morning. The very first email. And guess what it did? It snowed it out last week, but that was funny. Um, and I was like, what am I, what, why, why? And so I was like, well, I'm a little busy at 1045 on Sunday morning. And so are my kids. So we'll be there when we can be there. Um, but um, it's just, it's just that very first thing. How do I make those choices? Am I loving God well? Am I loving my family well in this? Am I loving the people around me well in this? Those are the paradigms. And hard choices have to be made of that. When you commit to staying when you commit to staying and you choose the path that you're going to be on, your marriage gets better. Certainty in where you're at, oh, it, it, it breeds depth, right? If I don't know if Paul's going to be here each week, I don't well, Paul will be here each week. It doesn't matter if he has pneumonia, by the way, but he will be here every week. Uh, and which you could take a week off if you have pneumonia, <laughs> but Paul's here every week. And I know with certainty that this pillar of the church will be here. I can invest in him. Because there's certainty in that. The same thing happens if I know my spouse is going to be rock solid and going to be there. Now there's an investment and a depth that can happen there. Same thing happens at work. When I know I'm going to be here, something shifts in your attitude. When you make that decision, I'm going to stay. You start to be more productive. You start to be, you just bought in more. Because like, I'm not looking somewhere else. I'm keeping my eye on the prize here. Have you been looking out for escape plans? I don't know what, where that's at in your life. Have you been looking for an escape clause? Is there a way I could weasel out of this? Is there a way I can get out of this? Is there a way? Or is there a choice that needs to be made? I'm staying. I'm grounded. I'm firm. I'm here. As we close today, I want you to ask yourself two important questions. Have you been looking for an escape route? Are you tired of that? Because that's stressful. It's exhausting. It's like living two lives at the same time. 
And the second thing is, what changes if I choose to stay? What changes if I choose to stay? Those are things to think about, things to pray through, things to to work through this morning. Ben, come on up. You're going to lead us in a final song as I pray for us this morning. God, thank you so much for this time. Lord, we ask you to move in us and to guide us. Lord, as we deal with people in our lives, as we deal with situations, as we deal with these uh, our coworkers and our neighbors and even our family, Lord, that we would be in tune with how to love you well and how to love people well. And that you would prompt our hearts, that you would give us discernment, you would give us an awakening, that this moment we could maybe open the blinds of our lives and our hearts to say, move in us, God. I want to be able to even perceive their mess and so I can step in and help where I need to be helped or, or help where I, need, I am needed to help. God, we want to take serious this call on our lives to love you and to love people. For some of us, I know for me, it's a scary, scary thing to open my life to other people. Even my best friends. I, it's a scary proposition to open my life to them. So God, will you give us courage where there needs to be courage? Will you give us wisdom where there needs to be wisdom? Will you give us discernment where there needs to be discernment? Will you give us patience where there needs to be patience? Will your gifts of the Holy Spirit just rain down in our lives as we take these steps of faith to say, I am committing, I am staying, I'm going to be invested, and I want to get to know and love and care for people around me. Jesus, we want to love like you loved. We want to love the way you've called us to love. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen.